well for a team, but then all of a sudden players start getting selfish, players start playing for themselves, players lose sight of the actual goal of the team, and it doesn't quite go the way it was meant to be. You know, I think this happens even like, you know, in just work world, for example. Imagine getting a promotion, and it starts off great, and you work your way into that promotion. But then eventually you begin to use your power wrong, and you begin to treat people wrong, and you begin to do the very things that you didn't do that got you to that point, and you started off well, but somewhere along the way, you lost your way, and you lost your purpose. Now, when I was thinking about this sermon this past week, that you know, the great poets of REO Speedwagon came to mind, right? You know, that song, you know, I've forgotten what I started fighting for, right? I would sing that to you, but that'd be an example of losing my purpose up here this morning, okay? You don't want to hear me sing today. But you see, God's plan for his chosen people starts off on the right track, and he delivers them, he blesses them, he desires to use them in a unique way. Everything started off great, but eventually things don't go as planned. And when that happens, God decides to come down to us himself. And he establishes a new covenant with us. Not a covenant based on law, but a covenant that was based on empowering and transforming grace. You see, Jesus is the first to carry out God's plan for Israel. He embodies all that God had planned for Israel. He fulfills the law because we ourselves could not fulfill it. And Jesus plays the role that Israel was supposed to play. And in this whole world is able to receive blessing through him. His love, his message, his kingdom is available to all people. And that's the thing I love about Jesus, that Jesus didn't just come for good people. Jesus just didn't come for elite people. He didn't come for a select group of people, but he came for all people. And his love and his grace is available to, to come and bless all of us today. And that's the good news of the gospel, amen? As the church, we are called and given the privilege of joining him in this, towards this purpose. We are given the privilege, we are given the call to walk with him and see that his work, see that his kingdom is established on the earth, see that people are given the opportunity to also receive the blessing that we ourselves have received. The Apostle Paul says it like this for those who come to know Christ in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. He says this, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the Apostle Paul uses this term for us, new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. What once was is gone, and behold, there's a newness of life for those who accept Christ and accept his message. And so in light of this new covenant and being made new creations, we can make some distinctions. We can make some distinctions about who we are to be and who we are not to be. And so in light of that, here's a couple distinctions that we can make this morning. The church, us, we don't just exist for ourselves, but we 
exist for the world around us. Our salvation does not exist for ourselves alone, but it exists also for the world to know. The blessing you receive isn't just for you to receive it, but it's also something that you need to pass on to those around you. Your chosen status isn't just for you, but you are chosen to be a means in which other people may be chosen. You see, that's strong wording the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians about who we are to be once we are in Christ. You see, your chosen status isn't just a privilege to enjoy, he's saying, but he's saying it's a responsibility. There's a call. There's a mission. There's something that we're supposed to, you know, partner with God in and carry out in this world. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes that all who put their faith in Christ are ministers of the kingdom, ministers of reconciliation, he calls us. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ is an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And that word ambassador, a definition of that is simply this, an official representative of this kingdom. Sent out to live among others, to represent and promote the kingdom. This is the new covenant that God has established with us. And so everyone who puts their faith in Christ is called to be a minister of reconciliation. And everybody means everybody. Look at your neighbor and say everybody. Right? It includes you. If you're a person of Christ who's put your faith in Christ, this includes you. We are called to be missionaries. We are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be uh, ministers of reconciliation, the Apostle Paul tells us. This is the purpose that God has prepared for us. And living a life that attracts others into the life of the kingdom is not a secondary aspect of the plan of salvation. But it's an essential reason, an essential part of the reason why you've been saved is that we would live a life that attracts others into this kingdom, that helps people see Jesus, that helps people to see the impact that God's had on our lives. And so this morning, giving you that as just kind of a backdrop and just into the story of God, of how things have changed in Christ and what he's called us into, I want just to look at two things this morning as we talk about our purpose. I want us to talk about the gospel message, first of all, but then secondly, I want us to talk about the responsibility to take that message and give it away to those who need it. And so number one, let's talk about the message this morning. And so how has the gospel message impacted your heart? Let me ask you that as we start. And maybe an even better question is, is how does it continue to impact your heart today? How has it impacted your heart this week? How has it impacted your heart throughout the summer months? You see, the gospel is not just the message that people get saved by, but it's also the message that saved people live by. I'm going to repeat that. The gospel message is not just the message that you get saved by, but it's also the message that saved people live by. And that means it's a message for all of us. And it's not just a message that we learn once, that we hear once, but it's a message that we are always learning, we are always growing, and we are always allowing it to affect our hearts anew. There's always more to it. And we learn as we go, as we experience the power of the gospel message afresh daily. You see, the gospel first impacts our lives, and it has to impact our lives first. And then it can spill over into the lives of the people around us. But do we take time for that? Do we take time to experience the gospel afresh? Or perhaps have we maybe made it more common than we should in our hearts? Have we boiled it down sometimes to just a set of prepositions, saying a prayer, I've done that? Or do you recognize that that message, that good news has power to change you every single day? day, every moment. You see, you never measure your spiritual maturity by how, f how far you see the gospel in the rearview mirror. 
but you always live in this message, looking forward to what lies ahead. You see, accepting the gospel didn't just happen way back when, but it happens every single day as you make a decision to follow Jesus and to live for him. And the gospel message has power like it did the first time to continue to change, continue to shape us all the time. And before we give the gospel message to other people, we have to make sure that it takes root in our hearts first. And so what is the gospel? Might not be a bad thing for us to define, right? Uh, there's a lot of different definitions I can give you. I can give you uh, four spiritual laws. I can give you um, different tracks. I can give you different ideas that people have come down with um, just through the centuries. You see, the gospel is the message of God taking the initiative to come to us. I'll start there. The gospel isn't the message of God waiting for us to come to him, but God actually came to us. And it's not just a rescue plan to get us out of this place, but it's about us bringing the kingdom of heaven down here into this place. And it really is the story of God pursuing us and God initiating his love for us and God coming here to establish his kingdom and to use us in this plan. You see, the gospel is never just a one-time prayer or a single moment, but it's a journey that we are invited on and that we are a part of, which is why we pray prayers like, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the gospel message is fresh for us today, and it's meant to affect our lives, not just then, but very much now. Bruxy Cavey, anyone ever heard of Bruxy Cavey before? He authored the book, The End of Religion. If you haven't checked it out, um, highly recommend it. Great book, great read. And in that book, he lays out what he calls the gospel in 30 words, and I have it up there on the screen um, on the yellow slide. And the gospel in 30 words is simply this. This is how he, he, he paints the gospel out. And I really, I really like how he does this. He says, Jesus is God with us. Come to show us God's love, to save us from sin, to set up God's kingdom, and shut down religion so we can share in God's life. You see, the gospel has many components to it. The gospel has many areas of our life in which it affects. And so let's start with the groundwork, is that Jesus is God with us. The ground, the foundation of the gospel is this world, Emmanuel, God with us and not against us. In Isaiah 14, we read about that, that God is for us, that God is for people, and that he's wanting to bless us. God is with you. He is not against you. Can I say that this morning? He wants to lift you up to become the image bearer of God that you were designed to be in the first place. You see, we talk so much about original sin and about what happened in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 when they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat that sometimes we get this idea that at the beginning of the human story is, is bad news. We get this feeling that things started out bad, but that's just not true because at the beginning of the human story is actually good news. And the good news is that God made us in his image, and God said that it was good. You know, turning the page over to Genesis chapter 3, we see sin come, and that kind of ruins all this, and it ruins this beautiful picture. And there's the bad news, but at the beginning, we have to remember that things actually started off good. And God cherishes each one of us, and you look through scriptures, and you see examples of this all throughout in Luke chapter 15, we're not going to go there, but you read a parable of lost things. There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost son. And one common theme in all of these examples is that all the lost things were precious to the one who lost them. And God's plan was initiated because he loves us. And I want to make that clear today. 
You know, John 3.16, one of the more famous verses that we ever read, says that for God so loved this world. It was, a, it was an act of love that he came down to us. You see, love initiates his work. Jesus came to show us how much God loves us. And the gospel starts with God initiating and showing us his love. After that, we read about Jesus dying on the cross and paying for our sin and paying the penalty for our sins so that we could be free from sin, so that it can be defeated by someone who could defeat it and we, could, we were powerless to do. And then we come to know, we, after that, we become involved in God's kingdom on the earth to make a difference right here and right now. And this isn't just something that's far off or, it, or that happens after you leave the earth, but Jesus invites us to set up his kingdom and make a difference here today. And your eternal life starts now. You are here as an ambassador representing the kingdom of heaven. When you gave your life to Christ, your new life starts now. It doesn't start later. Living in the kingdom of God doesn't just start when we leave the earth, but it starts when we meet Jesus on the earth, and we're a part of something now that will change the world. Dallas Willard says it like this, one of my favorite writers. Uh, he said, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. The gospel has power to change us, to change those around us. And so the gospel is God initiating his love. It's him saving us from sin by dying on the cross for us. It's setting up his kingdom, which we get to be a part of. But finally, Jesus also came to shut down religion. And if I could define religion this morning in the sense that we're using it here, it's anything that we depend on in order to earn or know God and his love. Any conduit that we feel we must go through in order to get to him. You see, Jesus came to take us from law and brought us into relationship. He took us from legalism and brought us into love. And in this new covenant, we find our motivation to live for Christ and the love of God, his love for us and our love for him. And so you see, the thing about religion, the things about rules, the things about regulations is that they could really only take us so far. The role of religion isn't a cure. It's not a cure. But through the rules, regulations, and routines of religion, we are sometimes kept back from doing more damage, if I could say it like that. But even in the Old Testament, we see that the law wasn't enough, but that we needed an antidote. In Jeremiah 31, we see the prophet writing about how God's going to establish a new covenant with his people, a new kind of covenant. It's going to be nothing like the old, but it's going to be brand new, and that's foreshadowing Jesus' work. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we see the prophet talking about how God's eventually going to give us a new heart and put our new spirit within us, and we're not just going to follow uh, things written on tablets of stone, but that God's going to write these things on our heart, and he's going to lead us by his Holy Spirit. And we're going to be set free to live from the inside out, not just from the outside looking in. Because God wants to change us. He wants to change our hearts. And we don't consult a rule book necessarily, but the Spirit of God leads us as we read Scripture and leads us in the right living. And so what is the Spirit of God moving you to do in the name of love today? You see, in 2 Corinthians, we talk about freedom. We talked about freedom last week, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And Jesus came to bring us into that freedom not just from sin, but also from law and from religion. And it's no longer about just being restricted anymore or just being held back, but we're actually led into a right way of living. Let me use an illustration to explain this this morning. Let's talk about the speed limit for a, a minute, okay? How many, of you, how many of you all love speed limits? Anyone? 
Let's have a little discussion here today. How many of you are the kind of person that when you see a speed limit on the highway that says 100, you make sure that you set your speed limit to 99 just to make sure you don't go over, right? Or are there any other people in this room today who think to yourself, well, I wonder how fast I can go without getting a ticket. Anyone ready to raise your hand here and step out with me on that today? Anyone? And we all have our, we all have our thought of what that would look like, don't we? For some of us, it's five over, you're going to be fine. Others say eight. I have it on good authority. I've heard 13, okay? But, you know, I'm just saying, just throwing it out there. And for any of my officer friends this morning here in the room, I apologize for this, okay? But each one of us has our own thing. Anybody want to yell out your thing? Anyone? 10%. There you go. Awesome. Anyone else? <laughs> just a suggestion. Awesome. Exactly, right? And, but that's what laws do. That's what rules do. Oftentimes, rules restrict us. They hold us back, and they give us something where we're supposed to stay within. But oftentimes, we find ourselves wanting to go over, don't we? We find ourselves doing that. Well, I don't. You guys did. Thanks for stepping out, okay? But, you know. But when you see the speed limit posted clearly on the highway, what is our goal? I don't know about you or if you're anything like me, but the way I approach the speed limit isn't to think, you know, how close can I get to the limit so that I don't go over, unfortunately. The way I often approach the speed limit is how far over the limit can I go before I get in trouble, <laughs> before I get punished from the law. Yeah, I know some of you think that way. Thank you for stepping out today this morning. But you see, the law does that. The law always tempts us with what we can call a loophole mentality, right? And what's the loophole? Well, the loophole is how can I go faster? How can I do this and yet still not get in trouble? And so it really just restricts. It really just holds back. It really just kind of stops us from doing what we actually want to do, doesn't it? It works that way. And when I used to drive alone, especially before I met my wife, I used to challenge these limits a little bit, if I could say it like that, okay? I'm lucky I didn't end up with some significant fines probably. And then when my wife joined me in the vehicle, I smartened up a little bit. But then I learned something different about the whole thing is that she actually drives faster than I do, right? So it was cool. <laughs> we, we had a mutual understanding of how quick we were going to go and how we were going to handle things on the highway. We had an understanding between each other. But I'll tell you guys this. Something shifted just under a couple of years ago when my baby girl was born. Okay? And something shifted a couple of years ago, and I can still remember that first drive home from the hospital. And there she is up there in the same clothes that Nicole wore on her way home from the hospital as a baby. So we really aren't just 80s stylists, in case you think we are, okay? But I remember that drive home from the hospital. And, you know, has anyone ever seen that Mazda CX-5 commercial where, like, the young family gets their new SUV and they're driving their baby home from the hospital for the first time? And the commercial shows a dad driving his family home for the first time. And as he gets faster, he starts to ponder, am I going too fast? I wonder if I should slow down. I wonder if I should pull over for a moment. Right shoulder checking is as best as it's ever been in a vehicle with him, right? He's looking around. He's staying according to the rules of the road. He's not glancing at anything but the road. There's no stopping to check the phone. None of that stuff. And I can relate to that commercial because I remember at the first time we drove Zara home, I felt the same way. You want to talk about a nervous drive for me, Okay. I should have taken a driver's test that day. I would have passed it. And I remember, you know, just being on the road that day. And suddenly that commercial made sense to me because suddenly the rules made more sense. And something had changed when my baby girl, whom I love dearly, entered the picture. All of a sudden, a protective nature kind of took over. And it wasn't about, it wasn't about how fast I can go anymore. 
but more about how I can keep everyone in the vehicle safe. And I tell you, the difference is not, the law, not that the law or that the rules of the road start to change me, that they start to make sense to me, but having a new passenger in that vehicle that day did. And when love entered the picture in my vehicle, it changed the way I behaved. And it changed the way I operated the vehicle. It changed how fast I went. It changed how much I paid attention. You see, for the first time in my life, you know, my mind wasn't just focused on how fast I should go as opposed to how fast I should go. And it was love that brought those thoughts, not law, but love. And I don't want to completely be down on speed limits, et cetera. You know, they're there for a reason. Um, don't get me wrong. That's not the point of this illustration this morning. But, you know, it wasn't a sudden revelation that changed my behavior in the vehicle on the road. It was love that changed my, my behavior in my vehicle. And my daughter joining me in the vehicle, the lesson here is just this, is that love has this ability to refocus us, doesn't it? Love has the ability to do for us what law never could. Love has the ability to influence us in a way that the law never could touch. Are you with me? And that's why Jesus came to shut down religion, as Bruxy says. That's why he came to shut down the law, because he invited us to live in relationship, in a relationship of love. Because love has the power to do things in our lives far beyond what the law ever could. You see, the law can never accomplish in our hearts what the love of God could. And Jesus saves us from the letter of the law, but not for anarchy and not for selfishness. Don't hear me wrong, okay? But so that we can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through the church, through the scriptures, so that we can bring people who live in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love. We can be those kind of people, loving God, loving others, and we expand and we extend that same love to those around us. You see, love has a way of motivating us in the way that the law never could, and that's the point. Oftentimes I say, fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with somebody, and watch your behavior change. Watch how you start suddenly thinking about them. Watch how you start suddenly putting them first. Watch how you, you suddenly start to see things differently. And You didn't even have to try that much, but it just changed you. You see, love is the motivating factor that will sustain us. Love will do for us what the law never could. And the love of God that we experience refocuses us. And it brings fresh purpose, and it brings fresh perspective. And we go out, and we don't go alone, but we go together as a church family. And we love God, and we love each other, and we preach the good news, and we go out, and we share about what he did in our life, and we make disciples, and we seek him, and we worship him like we did this morning. And in the process, friends, we arrive at our purpose, which is to know him in relationship, and really just to bring glory to him through how we live, and how we share his love for, for us with other people, with the, those around us. I said we'd talk about the message, and we'll just end off here by talking a little bit about the messengers. You see, in Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, we see the Apostle Paul talk in this language. He says, God, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. And so the question that we have to ponder, the question that we have to ask ourselves after we let the message of God, after we let the gospel message take root in our hearts is this, is how can we go out into our world and live this message and give this message away to other people? That is our purpose. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are his representatives as though God was making his appeal through us. 
Because in the end, the call to be a blessing, friends, is as important as the call to receive the blessing. Are you with me? It is part of our identity as followers of Christ and truly is at the heart of who Jesus has asked us to be. Let me give some examples, just some thoughts. You know, before we are Canadians, before we are Americans, insert any nationality here, before we are any of that, we are first and foremost, the Bible says, ambassadors of God's kingdom. Before we're carpenters, before professors, before we're preachers, we are first and foremost ambassadors of God's kingdom. Before you are conservative or liberal or any other political kind of association, you are first and foremost an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Which really means this, is that we really should wake up in the morning. And maybe we need to become more intentional about this and look in the mirror and remind ourselves that we are representatives of Jesus. That above anything else, we are ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation in his kingdom. This gives us purpose. This is something we are to live for. And I don't know about you, but when I enter into that narrative that the Apostle Paul's painting in 2 Corinthians, it kind of reframes everything for me. And it kind of reprioritizes things, and it kind of puts things back into perspective, and it kind of brings meaning, and it brings light to everything else. And it becomes sort of a lens in which we see things through. It not only gives us purpose, but it places what's most important in its proper place, is what it does for me. That the gospel message has reached us and that it has changed us, but that others need to experience it as well. And I've heard it said from many people who do missions work that we're all missionaries, and I believe that. This doesn't mean that we're all going to move, you know, to countries across the world or to faraway lands or to a different land, but we are all called to live as missionaries wherever God has placed us in, wherever we have influence, wherever we encounter other people. And so I think it's good for us from time to time to just sit down and just to rethink these things and to even rethink evangelism, right? You see, evangelism is something that we are called to do, but it's also very much something that I believe we're called to be, right? You know, there's that old saying from, that, that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, to go out into all the world and, and, and live the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Anyone heard that before? Right? There's, only, there's a couple problems with that statement. The first one is that we have nowhere on record that St. Francis of Assisi actually ever said it. And I've used it before, so I'm calling myself out here. But somehow that went around like wildfire years ago, and it, it had been attributed to him. And I heard a preacher call that out, that he never said it, so I decided to go look for myself and look through his works and find a quote for that, and I couldn't find it. And I get what he's saying, and I get the principle behind it, and I think what he's saying is good, but at the end of the day, it's not enough just to live the gospel. We, we also have to give the gospel to people. Because by assuming that people are just going to see us live right and come talk to us, we're almost putting the onus on them to come talk to us. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a lineup of people every day coming up to me asking me what makes me so wonderful. I don't know, maybe you're in a different spot, but it doesn't happen to me. I wish it did more. It'd be kind of cool, right? Everyone was coming up to me, what makes you so wonderful, Jordan? But the gospel is a responsibility that we have to take to the world around us. And so how can we make sure to live out our new identity? How can we make space in our lives to invite other people in? I think sometimes maybe that's the biggest struggle in it all. You see, the church in some ways, we sometimes fall into the same trouble that Israel fell into, don't we? 
on one hand, there's this trouble of being distinct <laughs> and being something different from the rest of the world. And we don't always manifest that unique, beautiful character of Christ in ways in which we should. So we have that problem. But then on the other hand, we tend to forget that our salvation isn't just for ourselves, but that we are saved for others as well. And that our chosen status isn't just for us, but that we are chosen for others. And it's not just a privilege, but it's also a responsibility and a duty for us to carry out this message of the kingdom. And that the blessing isn't just for us, but the blessing is to be a blessing to those around us. And we are called to be a magnet of love, of the love of Christ to the world around us. So the question is, is how do we live in a way that invites people in and that creates spaces in our lives for others to be involved? I think the natural inclination as humans for us sometimes, is to live with closed circles. And sometimes we don't mean to do that, and sometimes we're not trying to do that, right? And all of our time is spent on ourselves and, you know, our families and just on what we're doing. We don't have time for anyone else. And don't get me wrong. You need time for yourself. You need time for your families. That is honorable. That is important. That has to happen. That's a good and honorable thing. So don't hear me wrong this morning. But we have to move past just living in what's, in, what's convenient for us. And we have to recognize that sometimes being an ambassador, being a minister of reconciliation might cause some inconveniences in our lives from time to time. And as followers of Jesus Christ, how can we be involved in the service of the church going forward knowing that we are ambassadors of the kingdom? First, it's a question we have to ask. As followers of Christ, it cannot be understated that we are called to live a different kind of life, a life where we are always inviting others into And so the circles in our lives can't remain closed, but we have to open them and allow other people to come in and also experience this amazing thing that we've experienced when we accepted the gospel message and when it changed our lives. The circle cannot be closed, but there's got to be space in our life where we're letting people come in. And so for some of us, the first step might be to step out and maybe get involved and begin to serve in our church right here as we do our best to to bring the gospel here on a Sunday, to take it out to our city, to take it out to our workplaces, to take it out to others. Maybe a good first step for some of us this morning would be to get involved here. And I'm not going to lie to you. We are looking for people. We are looking for people to serve and get involved in many areas for the fall. And if you're interested, I just encourage you, fill out one of the welcome home cards, leave it at the Welcome Center. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that and how we could use your talents for the kingdom. We'll contact you. We'd love to have you involved. But for some of us, we, we, we need to ask ourselves the questions of how can we, you know, sacrifice some of the convenience of our closed circles in order, you know, to convenience other people and let them in. So let me leave you with this this morning. As we talk about the purpose of God's people, as we talk about the purpose of God's church, is that we always need to be wrestling. We always need to be asking. We always need to be wrestling with the question of how can we live as new creations? going out into our world and being ambassadors of God's kingdom. How can we live with purpose in Christ? And I think a first step for us, if we seek to do this, is to go to God and to ask the Holy Spirit just to help us to be honest about ways in which we aren't allowing him to move in our lives, about opportunities that we're scared of, about things that we we fear, about things that seem daunting to us. We need to first just go to God and be honest and ask for his help. And my prayer for us is that, you know, God would show us one thing, and I'll personalize it for myself here this morning, that the Spirit would show me one thing today that I could change 
to bring my life more into alignment of the kingdom of God so that I can display more and more the character of God and so I can open my circle a little bit more for the benefit of other people. The second thing to ponder is just this. Are you willing to adjust the pattern of your life, the flow of your life, the rhythm, in a way that sometimes inconveniences you when you have to sacrifice a little of your close time? Are you willing to make that adjustment if God leads you to invite others in? Because at the end of the day, if you're a missionary and everyone who says yes to Jesus is a missionary, then you have to say yes. And if you're having trouble saying yes to that, then the next best place to start is to ask God to change your heart so that you can say yes to that. Because you can't move forward until you do that. And so if you're willing, here's a practical take-home that I'm going to give you today. And next week we're going to gather together and Pastor Jordan's going to talk to us about uh, making a difference can't wait to hear him talk about that next week. But here's a practical step for you to take with you today. I want you just to spend some time in prayer sometime today, even before you leave here, and ask God to put on your heart one person that you suspect doesn't know him. And to start praying for them. And not as a final step, but as a, as a beginning step, because we have to start somewhere. But start praying for them. And then also ask God for wisdom, ask God for leading, ask God for understanding, for how you can begin a relationship with them where the kingdom of God can then rub off on them and where they can too experience the love of Christ. And so pray for ways in which you can share the gospel message that is changing you today with them. That's my encouragement. Go out into the world. Make the most of every opportunity. Our purpose, friends, as the church, is that we've been changed by the gospel message and we have a responsibility to go out and give it away so that others can be changed by it too. Amen? Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you just for um, your word and just for its challenge, Lord, um, how it stretches us, how it pu pushes us out of our comfort, how it... Um, how you desire to use us, your church, to make a difference in the world around us. I pray for each person here this morning that, that, that your love, Lord God, would just touch us in such a way that we would go out and make a difference in the world around us. And so thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you, Lord, that you've just um, been so good to each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that we also need to give that away to those around us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I pray, Lord, that as we pray for others, that you would give us opportunity. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us boldness and strength to go out and make a difference for you. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to this purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, God bless you today. I, I hope that was an encouragement. I'm going to ask everyone to stand here, just kind of as we end our gathering this morning. And uh, as I said, next week, we're going to talk about making a difference. But before we go, I want to leave you with a blessing. And so in ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands, and those who received the blessing did likewise. And so if you'd like a blessing this morning, please just extend your hands. Here it is, church. Loving God, we thank you for your presence among us and for hearing our prayers today. We thank you for speaking to us through the scriptures and for encouraging us in our meeting together. And so, loving God, would you take us and use us this week to love you, to serve you, and to love and serve all people in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week as we talk about making a difference. God bless.